God give us Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, would you? God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace, your anointing. The book of Romans. We're going to get into it tonight. I need a lot of scripture. So we're going to jump right into the pages. Bill Weaver, Proverbs 27, 20. I need to adjust this if I could. Um, do I just turn it down? Is that what I do? Okay. Proverbs 23, or 27, 20. Um, uh, 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 Miss Heather, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Uh, okay. 13, 5. And then I'm going to take you to, uh, let me see here. I think so. Hebrews 10, 10, 26, and 7, 10, 26, John Jaramillo, 26 and 27, Hebrews 10, and then uh, let me, uh, Mrs., Mrs. Eric, Mrs. Jen, I'm sorry? Oh, you don't have your Bible. Does, does, does mom have it there next to you? Okay. Uh, I want you to do Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Okay, we're in the, we're in the book of Romans. We're starting the chapters 4 uh, and 5. We started, kind of gave a, an outline last week as we got into this. And this, the thing that the, that the Lord gave me last week that, you need, that we needed to look at was the human condition. The human condition. So we spent last week talking about that and why. Why did Jesus make statements like, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak? Why, why did we go through some of the struggles that we go through when Paul wrote Romans chapter 7 when he said, you know, that uh, this wretched man that I am, the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do. We're going to get into all of those. Uh, but this week what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk about, uh, I, I want to go the direction of the, of the issues that we deal with in our lives. Okay, the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. Say that with me. We are saved by grace through faith. I want to say that again. And I want you to listen to something. There's a lot of grace teaching out there. And I'm going to get some people upset at me probably. But that's okay. I'm told not to say those words, but I said it anyway. Why? Because a lot of the grace that's being taught is great, is great grace, but it's not God's grace. Okay? The Word of God tells us, and we've talked about this, grace is God's work and operation in our life. Yes, grace is God's unmerited favor. That is why God's work could be at work in our lives, or His grace, okay? Let me ask you something. Is anyone in this room deserve heaven? No, none of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve. So because of God's grace, okay, that is exemplified, we talked about in Romans chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, a righteousness revealed from heaven. We know his name. What's his name? Jesus made a way where there was no way. 
God sent His only Son to become, and we've talked about it, I'm not going to get into it, the propitiation, the, uh, the atoning sacrifice, okay, the satisfaction for the judgment. That way He was the expiation, the one that could pay the price because His blood was accepted. Okay? So we have this concept, we are saved by grace through faith. Say it again. Saved by grace through faith. There's another teaching that's been around for years. It's called having faith in your faith. Wonderful. It's not God's faith. The Bible doesn't tell us to have faith in our faith. It tells us to have faith in God. Okay? And so we have all these issues that the enemy has taken God's word, and what has he done? The exact same thing that he did in the garden. What did he say in the garden? You shall not eat or touch. What did God say? See, it's a very simple thing that we overlook. God never said, don't touch. Matter of fact, Adam and Eve were responsible for touching the trees. They had to take care of them. They had to watch over the garden. They had to prune them. They had, they had to touch them. But what does Satan do? He doesn't deny God's word. He just adds to or takes from. Okay, so let's go back to that. We are saved by grace, something we don't deserve, something we couldn't do of ourselves, but that God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, through faith. Say, by grace, through faith. Okay? And so it was that price that Jesus paid. That's, that's what enables us to be saved. So what does it do? We talked about all last week, and I don't want to spend very much time. What's it do to the human condition? Knowing that. Does that mean you're never going to deal with sin? Does that mean you're never going to have problems? Anybody besides here say they never have problems? Yeah. Folks, we always have problems. We always deal with stuff. Why? We deal with the human condition. We deal with this sin nature. And we'll get into that when we get into Romans 7 and 8. But we're, we're dealing with this issue. But I want to look at some things in your passage that is the root of this problem. We have the human condition, but we have the deception of Satan. Telling us if we get this, we can have that. If we buy that, we'll get this. If we go here, we can be there. Fill in the blanks. To where we can get satisfaction from someplace else. But I think uh, Mr. Richard said it best. I can't get no satisfaction. Okay, no, it was, well, Richard is the one that wrote it, Keith Richards, Mr. Richards. Yeah, he wrote it, but Mick Jagger sang it. Probably didn't sing it much better than Richard wrote it. But anyway, but there's a truth to this, okay? We have Christ, and I want to read something that's in your notes. Even Paul, the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, Billy Graham, the evangelist of evangelists, Luther, the Catholic of Catholics, Mother Teresa, the servant of servants. Did you know that Mother Teresa and, Billy and, and uh, Martin Luther dealt with suicidal tendencies and thoughts their entire lives? 
You can read the, the, the biography of Mother Teresa. She thought about committing suicide many, many times. You read about Martin Luther. He did too. They're dealing with this human condition. They're dealing with this situation. Even though they seem to be the epitome of godliness and righteousness. Are you with me? Jerry Falwell, the Baptist of Baptist. All the goodness, all the intentions, all the good deeds. The problem we have in this world outside of Christ is that nothing is good enough to soothe the emptiness of our heart. That's why the Bible tells us over in 2 John, do not love the world nor the things of the world because the man, the woman who loves the things of this world, the love of the Father is not in them. Listen to me, this is not passing words. This is why we deal with these, these obstructions to peace is somehow or another that we think something else is going to satisfy. Am I making any sense? Has anybody felt that? How many, have, how many, be honest, have ever besides me ever went and bought something thinking it would make you happy? <laughs> Let me take you into the wisest man in the world. His name is Solomon. Even of today's standards, there was nobody ever as wise as Solomon. Look what he said in Proverbs 27, 20. Go ahead and read it for us, would you please? Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. Death and destruction are never filled, never satisfied. Neither are the eyes of man. What was one of the things in the Garden of Eden that Satan won over with Eve? The eyes. What is the biggest issue that most of you, you and I, have in our lives? What we see. How many ever went out and bought the ugliest thing they could possibly buy? You look for the prettiest thing. How many ever went out and, and just said, yeah, I'm just going to throw $5,000 away and I'm going to do this? No, you try to get the best bang for your buck, don't you? Our eyes, the things we look at, the things we perceive of value. The enemy is trying to draw us in all the time. But what happens the minute you get what you thought would satisfy you? You ever had what in the, in the industry of sales they call it buyer's remorse? Anybody ever dealt with that? Where you bought something and you thought, man, this was going to be the cat's meow. And then all of a sudden you drove away, you walked away, you rode away, you whatever away. Oh, man. Why did I do that? Okay, I know I'm not talking about anybody in here. I'm talking about me. Just me. Okay? So what happens immediately? The minute we think something in this world is going to bring that satisfaction immediately we start feeling bad when we give in to it. Now, does that mean I shouldn't buy something? I shouldn't get it? God has no problem with you having everything your little heart desires. He just has an issue with it having you. Okay? But that's the separation of the human condition and the God condition. Okay? The heart of God or the heart of man. People say, well, you know, let your heart, let your heart be your guide. That's some of the worst advice you could ever get. 
You know what the Bible says about the heart? It's wicked above anything. It's the most devastating thing. Why? Because our human condition, our heart, has no clue how to please God. Matter of fact, as we read last week, it doesn't even want to please God. Are you okay? Okay, so let's look. Solomon says, Hell and destruction are never full. Neither are the eyes of man ever satisfied. The consequences of trying to get that satisfaction anywhere besides God, 1 John 3, 20 and 21. Did I give that to somebody? Who did I give 1 John 3, 20 and 21 to? Okay, nobody. Sherelle, do you have it in front of you? 1 John chapter 3, verses 20. It's actually in your notes. If you want to just read it off your notes, it would be fine. I need a microphone. Hand that microphone behind you, would you? Or if you could just take it back there. Thank you. 1 John 3, 20 and 21. This is what happens. We get that ugly feeling in our lives. We get that ugly situation. Okay? Why? Can I tell you something? And I don't want to raise of hands, but you know the sad reality is most of us don't ask God about anything before we do it. We just do it. Well, did you pray about that? Sure I did. I think. Yeah, afterwards. But it's thing we just kind of go plugging through life. I've shared true stories about some of my missions works where uh, people ask me all the time, well, do you pray about going overseas? I never do. I never do. I pray that I touch lives for God's glory. Why don't I pray about going overseas? Why don't I pray about doing missions works? Why don't I pray? Because the Bible already tells me to. It says go, make disciples. Go into all the world. I never look for yeses from God. I look for noes. So when I'm praying, I'm not looking for God to say yes. I'm looking for God to say no. Are you with me? God wants, blessed, God wants to bless me. I want to know where my stupidity wants to take me. Is God or not? I got three amens out of that. <laughs> and one of them was my wife. The loudest one, that was her. That was her. But the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, is we don't have a clue. That's why God says ask. So I, I, I've traveled all over the world. You know, I've, I've traveled literally over a million miles doing missions work. Traveled to 36 different nations of the world. In all of my years, God told me no one time. I was going to Bombay, India. It's called Bombay. Some of you don't remember that. But it's called Mumbai today. But back then it was called Bombay. Some of you folks would remember that. I was going to Bombay, India to do a missions. I was going to do, I was a keynote speaker to a, in a conference, supposed to be thousands and thousands of people, leaders from all over India were going to be there. And I was going to travel there. You can look it up and you can YouTube it. It was 90 or 91, I think is when it was. And I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, the guy that's organizing in India, we're talking on the phone. I said, sure, let's just get it done. He was at the ticket. He was going to buy the ticket, get it ready to go. God said, no. Nothing else. God said, no. Well, I thought it was pizza or something. I was eating bad or something. I didn't know what it was, so I just kept making plans. A couple days later, God said, no. 
God, is that you? <laughs> well, finally, it took two or three times, and I, I called the guy up, and I said, you know, I'm really sorry, I can't go. Why? God told me no. God told me no. And the guy, I mean, he was really, because I was, I was the guy. I don't go, they cancel the meeting. The week I was supposed to be there, once again, you can go Google and look it up, was the worst terrorist attack in the country of India in all of this history. Bombay, India. They blew up the hotel where my reservations were at. It's good to find out if God says no. I still, all these years later, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. They blew up the hotel. The field where we were supposed to have the meeting was the bloodiest place in town. What would have happened if I hadn't asked? Oh, they canceled completely. They had to because I was the main keynote speaker. They canceled all the other people, all the other things coming. Meeting was canceled. Folks, God's not looking for you to ask him about yes. But he wants you to ask him because it might be no. Not because he's killjoy, but because he's trying to spare you of hurts and sorrows. It may be not as tragic or as, as momentous as that. But we've had things happen in our lives. But the biggest issue that God wants to deal with us is that condemnation that we feel when we do something and we didn't bring God into the middle of it. See, this is what the book of Romans talks all about. That's why I tell people all the time, read the book of John first. Then read the book of Romans. John tells you the most why you need Jesus. Romans tells you the most of who you are. And then when you're done with that, read the book of Acts. Because it tells you when you realize who you are and who he is, this is what you can do if you just put him first. 1 John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Look what it says here. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. Okay, we've made decisions in life that we felt bad about. Okay, this is that human nature. Can I tell you something? Even if you're doing something for God, you can still feel bad. Even if you're doing something for God. That's why it's necessary to ask God what's going on. But look what it says here. If your heart condemns you, realize God is greater than your heart. What is our heart? Wicked above everything. Who can know it? Our heart doesn't seek after God. There's none that does good. No, not one. We've talked about that in in Romans 1, 2, and 3. But look what it says here. But if our hearts do not condemn us, what does it say we have? Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have confidence. We know that we're doing what God wants. Now listen to me. We have confidence for God. So let me, I broke it down for you. It's in your notes there. Now whoever has 2 Corinthians 13, 5, I want you to grab that next, okay? I wrote this down. I left it in your notes. If our hearts condemn us for insincerity or secret sin, we will never be able to soothe our hearts with any acts of religious piety or outward external holiness of any kind. You know how many people that if you want to get the most out of them, you just pull the heartstrings? 
You ever been to a church where the preacher just tells you every sad story under the sun just to get you to give more? Okay, Taylor, it's just you and me. Nobody else is listening to this, okay? Yeah. You ever been to churches like that? You know, and, and the reality is we do because we feel so condemned. We feel, oh, I gotta do something, I gotta do because I'm so wretched and I'm so and you are. And I am in this flesh. But I don't, you know, now I'm probably talking against it. I, should, I shouldn't say this because, you know, people, well, that means I shouldn't give then. No, folks, we can't go the either extreme. But you can't give your way out of feeling bad. Insincerity, secret sins. If condemned due to past guilt, we can find peace. Yet not if we have a present purpose that we're going to continue to indulge in sin. The Bible says God is greater than our heart and knows all things. This is why we're encouraged over and over in Scripture to examine ourselves. Ask, why are we doing what we're doing? That's why the Bible says, don't try to hide anything before God. That's why the Bible tells us when the Holy Spirit convicts, always run back to God. Because if we do this, then Satan never can bring forth the fruit of condemnation. 2 Corinthians 13, who has it? Okay, go ahead, 13.5, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Examine yourself. When, when the whole India thing came up, okay, God, what's the deal? See, I, I didn't have, God didn't give me any, pro, any prophetic understanding or any future thoughts, words of knowledge or understanding. He just said no. So what do I do when that happens? First, foremost, I ask God, why? Why no? Now, ultimately, I'm not going to go because he said no. But I want to know why. See, Listen to me, look, and, and look at me, please. Too many of us kind of just go through life. We never ask God anything. And the whole book of Romans is talking about you and I getting into that relationship with God, getting to know Him, building a relationship with Him, drawing closer to Him. Over and over and over. But the devil keeps us perplexed. The devil keeps us confused. Therefore, he keeps us out of doing what God wants us to do because he gets, keeps us this, this whole condemnation. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to feel bad anyway. Or it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it anyway. Am I making any sense at all today? Okay. So I, as I was studying this, this, this afternoon, I was going through my notes and getting prepared for tonight. I, I really sensed the Lord to take me back to some place that, that, uh, that Paula Eulish asked uh, a couple weeks ago. And we're going to read these two. There's, there's a passage of Scripture that really <coughs> bothers people, and there, there's a sister passage to it. Because the enemy, if he can keep us, if he can keep us from thinking that we're pleasing God and we're, we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, he can keep us from doing anything for God. Now, we're still going to make heaven, 
but we're not going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish on this earth. Okay? So I want to take you, this is kind of a side note, it's not in your notes, but I really feel the Lord impressed upon me to deal with this passage. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27, who has it? Okay, uh, John, and then I want whoever has Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, we're going to come to it in just a minute. But listen to what it says here. Because just like in the garden, okay, and, and just get ready, John. Just like in the garden, the devil doesn't want you just to make a mistake. He wants you to perpetuate that mistake. He wants you to live in it. He wants you to live in the condemnation of it, live in the consequences of it, live in the confusion of it, when God wants to bring resolution from it. Okay? He wants you to get beyond it. Okay? So the devil will use these passages. Remember what we told you earlier? The devil will take God's word and he will blow up portions of it because he wants to use it to twist us up, to mess us up. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, same thing. I'm always intrigued that, that, God, that Genesis 3 and 2, Corinthians, and 2 John uh, 15 or uh, 2.15 are the exact same passages. How the beginning of the world... He said, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's going to be the destruction. At the end of the world, 2 John 2, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the pride, uh, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's going to be the destruction of mankind. Isn't that kind of interesting? And then he takes us into Revelation. Hmm, interesting stuff. I think it's interesting. So, John, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 26 and 27. And I want you to read it slowly, okay? And I want you to read it very purposefully and listen to the words what version you're reading new living translation okay go ahead it's not it's not working and make sure it's on test test there it is dear friends if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Let me ask you a question. And I don't want you to raise your hand, but I can guarantee there's a portion of this people right in this room that think you might have committed the unpardonable because you don't feel like you used to feel. You don't have that sensation that you used to have. When you first got saved, how many just, man, you couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to open your Bible. You couldn't wait to, to wake up in the morning and say, Morning, God. You couldn't wait to go through the day. And, and now it's just kind of a drudgery. Oh, I go to church because I know I'm supposed to. I tithe because I know I'm supposed to. I do this because I know I'm supposed to. I do that. Why don't you do it because you love to? See, the enemy tries to steal that from us. And what does he try to do is steal that relationship try to steal that relationship that we have with our father so he'll throw this passage yeah you you're still sinning you're still blowing it you're still falling short you know the devil you know what i tell the devil when he just tells me that stuff you're right i am well, why do you do that why do you argue with the truth? All of us fall short. We live in this human condition. 
No, do we sin that grace may abound? Not what we're talking about. We just make mistakes because we live in this human condition. So when the devil tells me those things, why am I going to argue with him? He's telling me the truth. But you know what the greater truth is? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. See, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, day and night he accuses me before God. Day and night. But he says, I've overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. You know what the word of my testimony is? By grace I'm saved. Through faith I live. Oh, some of you are going to get that. The word of my testimony. By grace I'm saved. Through faith I live. That means when I mess up, Jesus. You see, this is what happens. Let me take Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And let me play it out in front of you. The devil says, Okay, God, you know that master's dude? Oh, yeah, the preacher, victorious life. Yeah, you know him? That guy sucks. Can I say that in church? D, D are you okay? Can I say that, Steve? You're okay. okay. That's what, you know, the devil, that guy, he stinks. I mean, did you see him this morning? He spent five lousy minutes with you in prayer. Oh, that's love, isn't it? And he tells them all this stuff. And it's probably all true. And you know what happens? The father listens and looks over at the son and, and he says, Jesus, what about it? You know what Jesus says? Dad, it's under the blood. He's living for me by faith. It's under the blood. Uh, somebody going to get this tonight. By grace, I'm saved through faith. I am righteous because Jesus made me righteous through His blood. It's by grace that I'm saved and I live by faith. When I fall down, He says, I uphold you with my righteous right hand. Ooh. Oh, I get a little excited because, you know, I know I suck sometimes. Look at somebody and say, I do too. It is. Folks, we deal with this stuff. But the devil tries to say, hey, you keep living in that lifestyle. Now listen to me. If you continue to sin deliberately, let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean? What's that mean? I'm sorry? Rejecting Christ? What's it mean to continue to go on sinning deliberately after you receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. What's it mean? I'm sorry? You know you're doing it. What else? Rejecting Christ? What does it mean? I'm sorry? That's the question. What does that mean? Because the truth is, how many in this room have deliberately sinned? James chapter 4 says, He who knows to do good and does it not to him, it's sin. How many have passed that test? But look what the scripture says. Examine yourself to see if you're even in the faith. How am I in the faith? 
because of the blood of Jesus and the word of my testimony. By grace I'm saved through faith. Okay? That's where I stand. So I look at this whole thing, and I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about, John nailed it, people who know what they're supposed to do, but they purposely continue to live the life they're living. I have people that I deal with as pastor. They blatantly know the Word of God, says, don't do this. In, in, in churches that I've pastored over the years, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to move in with this girl. I'm going to move in this guy. Well, the Word, the word says, I know, but God wants me happy. I know God wants me happy. So I'm going to do this. What are they doing? Deliberately rejecting Christ. There's not a single place in God's Word where it says your happiness trumps His Word. Are you okay tonight? See, most get confused as they know that Jesus came to forgive sinners. So what's the big deal, God? I live in this human condition, and God, you came to forgive sinners. But what happens is the devil says, see, now you're done. It's over. They feel that this verse somehow suggests that it was only a one-time forgiveness at the point of conversion. We spoke about the human condition. I'm reading this from my notes because I, I, I thought this was so good I didn't want to forget it. So, we spoke about the human condition last week, and while we live, we sin. How many can say amen? Okay. None of us, the Bible says in 1 John, the person that says he has no sin is a what? And the truth is not in them. So we deal with this human condition. We talked about it last week, and we got into great depths of this. But the Scripture says if we're Faithful, if we confess our sins, He's faithful to just forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then the devil says, no, you're doing this over and over and over. You're doing the same sin. What did Jesus tell Peter when he confronted him? He said, if somebody sins against you seven times, what do you do? Can you imagine Peter that day? Man, you forgive him seven times. I know, God, what the Word says. How many think that Peter took a big old slap in the face when Jesus said, yeah? How about multiplying that times 70? <laughs> and I think it's interesting. He said the person sins the same way, does the same thing. You think God's going to do the same thing with you? Is he going to forgive you that many times? The answer is absolutely yes. But the devil tries to say, no, nah, because you did that, that's why you feel like this. And your life will never be the same because you did that. Folks, there's not a person in here that has not deliberately sinned. And Jesus wants you to know, if you will just come clean with him, he will forgive completely and fully. What is this passage talking about First, to understand the confusion is many different versions 
have written it different ways in Bibles. But the word sinning comes from the Greek word that, and I tried, I wrote it down, and I can't really pronounce it, but I'm going to try to. It's about that long. It's harmatonatum. Harmatonatum. Okay? And, you know, that's close enough. Okay? Which is what is called an active present participle in the Greek. And literally means someone who purposes to do wrong even though they know it's wrong. They continue to do it anyway. This is what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about the purpose or the person that actually did what he knew was wrong. Even though he knew it was wrong, that person repented. This person the Scripture's talking about didn't. So literally what it's saying is this person can't even receive forgiveness because he's rejected it. How do you package it? Do you share it differently? Do you bring a different perspective of what it is? This person deliberately stays in his sin even though he has full knowledge that it's wrong. Now I'm going to take you to the sister verse, which is Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Whoever had that, you had your hand up, um, 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 Jan's husband. Um, yes, I have Jan's Lavelle. husband. Yes. Well, earlier it was said that, that deliberately sinning over and over again is the rejection of Christ. The question now is, is that the sin unto death? Okay. So he's asking about the unpardonable sin. First John, yeah. John talks about it, okay? He says, there is a sin that is unto death. I pray that you don't ask for it. Interesting statement. But there is a sin that is unto death. What is the unpardonable sin? I'm sorry? Is the rejection of Christ the unpardonable sin? This, this is good. What is the unpardonable sin? Because what I want to do tonight is I want to lay to rest this whole concept once and for all. Because in, in two weeks we're going to get into Romans 6, which is what this passage is dealing with. I'm giving you a little heads up here in 4 and 5 because I really felt the Lord said you need to deal with this tonight. Okay? What is the unpardonable sin? Derek. Blasphemy. Okay? That's, you know, blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Word of God, don't do that. That's unpardonable. What does that mean? Uh, Eula, <laughs> what's the unpardonable sin? Well, I've, I've heard it taught that it is calling the good things of God bad and the bad things that Satan does good. Okay. Well, you know what the Bible says in the last days? People are going to call good evil and evil good. So does that mean everybody's unpardonable? What's the unpardonable sin? This, no, I want everybody to get involved in this. This is what Bible study is all about. We're studying the Bible. What is it, Bill? Well, I don't know if I can put it in words, but uh, everyone's you saying... You can, real sin. Yeah, uh, rejection of Christ. But I think it's, it's not... Because I could say right now, I reject Christ. But I can still ask for forgiveness of okay. that. But I think if you go past rejection of Christ and say... I, I am never going to ask for forgiveness and just blatantly say, um, I reject Christ, I don't believe in him, I refuse him, I will never ask for forgiveness. And that, you know, that talks about blasphemy and all that stuff. But I think it's making that last decision 
that I am never going to accept Christ or ask for forgiveness. Okay. Pastor Philemon, give me Second Peter uh, 3, 9. Not yet. What is the unpardonable sin? Good questions. Got good answers. Uh, Steve? Worshiping another God. What's the unpardonable sin? Diane? I'm sorry? Ding, 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 ding. Dying without Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Would you read that, Pastor Philemon? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus died for everyone. Back in the 60s, there was a huge, 60s and 70s, there was a huge movement that's starting to grab ground again. It's called the Satanist movement. And all of your questions or all your answers were correct. They're all questions. You know, they're all, you know, they're, they're, they're bad things. And they all boil down to the rejection. Okay? There was a man named Anton LaVey. And he was the head of the Satanist church. Started in San Francisco. The big movement started in San Francisco. Did you know his daughter got saved? And did you know that Anton LaVey's daughter, I guarantee, is blasphemed every way you could imagine. Now, I, I don't know for sure, but I'd heard that LaVey had actually turned to Christ. Don't know. You'd have to go out and search it, and you can tell me if it's true or not. But there's lots of people that have seemingly done the unpardonable, the blasphemous, that got saved. How did that happen? Well, they're not really saved. They're not really. You look at their life. How do you know the, the root? You watch the fruit. What's it say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Pastor? This is from the New Living Translation. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is not slow in His promise. What's the promise of His return, of His coming back? He's not slow. He's patient. Because He's not willing that what? Any. You know what the Bible tells us? I think it's Ezekiel or it might be Zacharias. It's in the Bible. I'm a pastor, not a concordance. You know the Bible says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked? The only unpardonable sin is when you die without Christ. This is what John's talking about in 1 John when he says there is a sin that is unto death. Okay, what is the death? The eternal separation from God. Mm -hmm. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus tasted death for all of us. He tasted exactly. He was separated from his Father for three days. Okay, so now let's go into this, this sister verse of Hebrews 10, Hebrews 6, 4, and 6. Who has that? I do. Okay, go ahead. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Listen to those strong words. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. If they fall away to be brought back to repentance because of their loss they are crucifying the son of god all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace so the devil beats us with these passages that we have crossed that bridge 
We have come to that place, and that's why I just never feel good again. I never get happy again. No, you never feel good, you never get happy because you have your eyes on you instead of Christ. Hell and destruction are never full, the eyes of man never satisfied. We get in that place to where all of a sudden it becomes about us, and all I'm trying to do is just get past that feeling that I have when God says all you've got to do is get your eyes back on me. Ask me to forgive you. Okay, remember Revelation 12? Dad, is it true? Yep, it's true, but it's under the blood. Okay? So we've tasted of God, we've tasted the mercy, we've tasted the gifts, but God says that it's impossible to renew that person who deliberately, purposefully chooses to walk the road and say, I'm done, to return them, because Jesus would have to. I would have to preach a message differently. I would have to proclaim something differently. I'd have to find out some new way. Why? They've already heard it all. And some of them are sitting even here tonight. You're dealing with stuff because you think somehow or another maybe I've just messed up one too many times and maybe God loves somebody more than He loves me. Maybe God's happier with somebody than maybe I can. I, I just can't measure up to you. Bill? Well, just to be sure that I am understanding um, what you're saying correctly is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit piece is that the Holy Spirit is always calling us and wooing us and drawing us to Christ. Always drawing us. And so the minute you die. So if we reject that, it die without yeah. it, then that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. part. Well, that's, that's what the Scripture. Him. That's what so. the Scripture seems to imply. Okay. okay? Make sure I understand. That's what the scripture seems to imply. Okay? If not, how do some of these people that have done some of the most horrific things, how do they come to Christ? Well, I don't know that they're come to Christ. That ain't my call. What's James say? I'm supposed to be a doer of the word, not a judge. If I see the fruit, the Bible says no man can say they love God unless the root's attached. Does that make sense? Okay, Pastor? I was just going to say that, (coughs) excuse me, you know, there is a part of it that, um, especially when Christ was talking to the, uh, you know, the Pharisees as they were, you know, he was doing greater works, uh, glorifying God, and yet they were saying that you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub. And so uh, there is a connotation to it, you know, that means that, you know, you are imputing God's work, mm-hmm. you know, to the devil. Mm-hmm. And so that brings a great condemnation. And, you know, that, that can happen when a person is not in Christ, you know, mm-hmm. blaspheming right. uh, the work of the kingdom. But yet, you know, the truth is, as you are saying, that, you know, and a lot of us were there when you didn't know Christ, you blasphemed Christ by you know, you see things that God is doing and you say, well, you know, that's, you know, probably the devil talking through them. But you can repent from that, you know, just like you said that, yes, you know, a person can do that. But, you know, when you come to God through repentance, God can forgive you and will forgive you to him. Amen. So in everything that we're doing, folks, I wanted to settle. Hopefully, hopefully I've done a good job. I really don't have enough time to get into i got a whole bunch more written 
that I wrote down on this whole, this whole thing and getting into uh, Romans chapter uh, 6. And so what I want to do as we get back into your notes is we come to God by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Everything of our life is by grace through faith. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to take us back to our notes uh, in, uh, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 3. Bob, I want you to get that for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, Jim Cody, if you'd get that for me. What we learned in Romans chapter 1 through 3 is that we have a righteousness that is revealed from God that is given to us freely with no strings attached. And the concept of good enough does not work. We will never be good enough to be saved. We will never be good enough to live a holy life. We will never be. That's why there's so many teachings out there. You know, one of the teachings that come to mind is this entire sanctification, that I am perfect now. No, you're saved now. But we're going to continue make mistakes. Okay? And so in Scripture, we have to understand is that Romans was written chapter by chapter for the purpose of explaining salvation. We're getting into the solution chapter of Romans 4 and 5. Rights and righteousness are given to us in exchange for our faith. It's by grace we're saved through faith. Say that with me. It's by grace we're saved through faith. Our rights and our righteousness is given in exchange for our faith. It's not obligatory. It is a gift. Grace is a gift. We get this grace through faith. We receive this when we're born again. James 3, or John 3, 3. Who did I give that to? John 3, 3. Go ahead. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. God Jesus is talking to one of the wisest men of the pharisaical uh, priesthood. He's talking to Nicodemus. He said, you're a teacher. You, you, you study this stuff over and over, and you don't even understand that you've got to be born again. Okay, 2 John, uh, is that what it was? Second, or 2 Corinthians 5.17. Who has that? Jim Cody, here's a microphone. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, creation. The old has gone, the new is here. When are you a new creation? When you're born again. The minute you're born again, you become brand new. You are brand new now. In, in, second, in uh, First John, it says, now we are the children of God. Though it doesn't know, we don't know exactly what we're going to be like when we see Him face to face. But now we are born again. Now we are righteous. Uh, now we have that relationship with God. And what does the devil do from the minute you get saved? I'm sorry? He tells you you're not. He starts accusing you. He starts making you feel bad. He does everything he can do to undermine this salvation. And that's why I, I say that. It sounds so simplistic. I just tell him, devil, you're right. I am all of that and a bag of chips. But I have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. 
and the word of my testimony, it is by grace that I'm saved, and I live that life by faith. Am I making sense tonight? I didn't get a single amen. Am I making sense? Okay, good. Say amen, say oh me. Alan Redpath made a very powerful statement. If you don't, if you don't have the book, there's a book that I recommend. It's about... Um, which one of his books was about Romans? I think it's Blessings Out of Buffetings. I'm not sure. But in, and it was in that book that he made this statement. He said, at salvation, everything that heaven has is ours. Okay? It's an author by the name of Alan Redpath. I would wholeheartedly recommend you find some of his books. A lot of them are out of print now. Uh, but uh, Blessings Out of Buffetings is one of them. Uh, he wrote a whole book on David. He's got, um, oh gosh, just several books. I've got many of them at home. Uh, but he said, at salvation, everything heaven has is yours. But this is the piece I want you to grab. But we will only receive as much as by faith in Jesus Christ we reach out and take. If I want peace, how am I going to get that? I've got to reach out to that relationship I have with Christ. If I want the promises, how do I get that? I've got to reach out to the relationship I have with Christ. If I want to have uh, prosperity, you mean I'm going to talk money out of the sky? Not at all. But who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold therein? Why am I looking to, to, the, to Wall Street? Why am I looking to Chase? Why am I looking to this? I need to look to the one who is the author and the finisher of my faith. I will only receive as much as through faith in Jesus Christ that I reach out and take. Back in your notes, number one, righteousness is not of ourselves. It is a gift. It is exchanged for our faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6. I want... Uh, 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 Carrie's mom... Elsie. I want to say Esther. I knew it wasn't Esther. Elsie. Will you uh, give me Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 uh, and 6. We've already read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Um, uh, um, Mrs. Jaramillo, would you give me uh, Titus 3, 5? And then we're going to end with this passage. Uh, I'm going to give this to Susan. Susan Nieto. Uh, I want to give you Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay? Righteousness is not of ourselves. It is a gift. I wanna, uh, last week we talked about the, the, the condition, the human condition. This week we went through that whole thing. Yes, you're going to make up, mess up. Yes, you're going to fall short. Yes, you're going to blow it. This is a natural tendency of life. We are sinners saved by grace. Okay? We live in grace, but we deal with sin. Okay? And this is what we're going to do. Not an excuse. We don't sin that grace may abound. But the reality, we are going to make mistakes. But we are not deliberately living a life of sin. We're not deliberately living a life that is rejecting Christ. Am I making sense? Okay. So that's what I want us to get through tonight as we get into the rest of this uh, chapter 4 and 5 starting next week. Hebrews 11, 1. Read that for me, Elsie, would you please? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for 
and the assurance of what we do not see. In another translation, the New Living Translation, it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. Okay? This is the life we live. Why? Because we've been saved. How? By grace. So we live through faith. We know God is the God that speaks those things that are not as though they are. So this is the life we live. Well, pastor, I'm not seeing it. This is where faith comes in. I actually believe it's going to happen. Why do I believe it's going to happen? Because I'm not asking it for my sake. I'm asking it for God's sake. Am I making sense? You see, it's not about you and me. It's about Him. And if I want peace, if I want joy, if I want everlasting confidence, it's got to be directed towards Him. Like I said, I'm not asking for the yeses. I know that all of God's promises are yes and in Him or amen. I am asking God to tell me what is the no's because that's what's going to mess me up in life. Then it goes on to say in the sixth verse of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, faith is the confidence of the things we're hoping for. And it's the evident assurance that we're going to receive what we've believed. But then it goes on to say, but if we don't live a life of faith, what's it say, Elsie? Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him a life of faith isn't an option it's the life that a christian lives we are saved not because we've earned it not because we can do anything about it but because our right standing or that righteousness was a gift given to us by grace through faith as we live a life of faith we get a new nature second corinthians 5 if any man is in christ he's a new creation when is he a new creation right then right then right then you look in the mirror and say i don't look any better nope you look on the outside god's looking on the inside okay by faith through grace titus 3 5 who has that okay go ahead i need a microphone titus 3 5 there we go John, you can take the next one to, to uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is back there with Susan. Okay, go ahead, Sandy. He saved us not because, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So how did we get saved? His grace. His mercy. Not by good works. People say, well, pastor, you know, I can see that you're, I can see you're saved because God really likes you because you do really, really good. He don't like me any better like you. He doesn't like you any better. And he doesn't not like me better than he likes you. It's not by works of righteousness that I have done. It's according to his mercy. And then we go full circle back to what we started out tonight. What's the St. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Sandy, or uh, Susan? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Say it again. For it is by grace you've been saved. 
through faith. What, what, what did it say again? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Again? <laughs> and that, and that, go ahead. Okay. And, and this is not from ourselves. yourselves. It is a gift. Go ahead. It is the gift of God, not, not works. by works, so but that no can one boast. can boast. See, it ain't that I'm better. It ain't that you're better. It's that he's the best. Okay? Continue on. Oh, that's it. I'm sorry, that's it. Yeah. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Say that with me. It's by grace you're saved through faith. When did you get saved? The moment you accepted Christ. By grace you're saved. Okay? A righteousness revealed from heaven. Uh, Romans 1.17. Okay? Righteousness revealed from heaven. God made a way where there was no way. And you got saved. You know why you got saved? Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. I've messed up. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You, but you don't understand. I, I blew it yesterday. I blew it today. Guess what? You're going to blow it tomorrow. I'm not prophesying. I'm just telling you a fact of life. Okay? And you say, well, I'm, it's not, it wasn't a bad sin. Do you know God don't put levels of sin? That's why a murderer can get saved just like a liar can get saved. We're the ones that put the categories. We're the ones that put these people in these little boxes because we get mad at them and because we get upset at them and we hold them in bitterness and we hold them. You know, the amazing thing is you're giving them free reign in the real estate of your mind. They're not thinking about you at all, but you can't stop thinking about them. Why don't you give them to God and let God take care of them? Well, I want them to be... Vengeance is mine, says God. 